This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Welcome everybody to three women and a bottle of wine. I'm Kim Inslee. And I'm Julie Barkey. And I'm Lynn Melling. Today we're talking about the workplace, how it's changed since the start of the COVID pandemic and my how it's changed mm-hmm. and how employers are having to navigate this new landscape, including what is now famously known as the great resignation. We've been hearing that phrase a lot lately. Daily, I think. Yeah. I want to introduce you to our guest. That's Lisa Hannum, who is founder and CEO of Beehive Strategic Communication, which is a boutique agency with deep roots here in the Twin Cities. Lisa, welcome to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. We are so grateful you were able to join us tonight. And we don't even know where we should begin, except maybe, I mean, the natural first question would be, of course, the pandemic. You work with strategic communications. You have clients all over the Twin Cities and worldwide, we understand. How do you think this pandemic Beyond the obvious, working from home culture, how do you think it's actually changed workplaces? Well, thanks for having me, ladies. I'm really happy to be here with all of you. So that, of course, is a really big question. So let me tackle it by talking about that sort of quintessential workplace, which everyone's hearing about. So that's kind of on everyone's, at the tip of everybody's tongue right now. And so the, if you really think about it, workplaces have been changing for decades. So the places we work have been evolving and the work arrangements have been largely at the discretion of the employer. So we've all worked long enough to remember how it felt when your boss said you could work two days remote at home, <laughs> right? As long as you were available every minute of every, you know, of those days, or mm-hmm. you could telecommute. So truthfully, these work arrangements have been changing and adjusting. Technology has allowed it. Globalness has allowed it. But largely, it has been a work arrangement that your employer approves, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, where we're at right now, the pandemic has really accelerated the change of everything. So we had change coming in what workplace was, but now it's accelerating at such a rapid pace. And for the first time in our lives, we are seeing it happen on a global scale. We've never seen anything before like it. And it's permanently going to shift how we live, how we work, how we learn, how we connect. And I think what's the most important thing to understand about that is that we are not going back. There's no back here. Mm -hmm. It's only forward. And if we can all think about how exciting that is, We can start to think about how we roll through to what's next as we start to get to a post-pandemic world. I love that so much because I feel like I've been hearing a lot of people, you know, they're afraid to acknowledge that this is permanent. There's so much fear, but you're right. We're not going back. Um, And I love this idea of embrace it. I I mean, it's kind of like every innovation that's ever happened, right, is facing the unknown and embracing it and being excited about it. I, I love that take so much. Is it, are you finding it's, are people starting to shift their mindset toward being, rather than resisting, kind of leaning into this change? 
think that there's a lot of resistance still for a lot of reasons, right? It, this is a big, big shift for organizations that have physical footprints. It's a big shift for people who may really be tethered to a place to do their work. And so it's going to really require a lot of flexibility, a lot of openness, a lot of innovation. But the bottom line is this, now is the future. Mm-hmm. So between now and going forward, workplaces are simply all the places where work happens. Yeah. That's it. So this idea then workplace has always been tied to work culture. It's always been very physical environment focused and that won't be so moving forward. And so the way that we're able to think about creating strong healthy, supportive, resilient organizations in the future can't be centered on a requirement that someone comes to an employer's place. So that's one of the biggest shifts that we're all going to have to embrace and work on together. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day um, and her job is she is a manager. She manages people. And she does it very well. And she said that she really likes to having people back in the office. And it kind of made sense to me. If you are a manager and that is what you do and you're used to face-to-face with people and you understand what their role is, you can mentor and whatnot, it must be mind-blowing to all of a sudden have to do it remotely or you're onboarding people remotely. You're managing people that you've never seen face-to-face. Um, one of the things that you do is change management on an organization level. So as we're looking at that and the types of roles that we play, do you see those roles having to change along with our thinking? So it's not just, yeah, we're all doing it from a different place, but really the roles that we do and how do we manage people that way? The change really think about it as a giant pendulum. We're not done changing. We'll never be done changing. So right now we're swinging back and forth in this change. So we've gone to, isn't this great to be able to work from home? I'm going to, you know, business on the top, party on the bottom. And now what we're shifting into is the idea that I really miss human contact. Hmm. Human beings are designed for connection. And so we're starting to see the need to have all the options on the table. And so those options though, may not look like the workplace that we have been familiar with in the past. Mm -hmm. The options for convening people may look very, very different. It may happen on a less regular basis. It may happen for a longer period of time, but with gaps in between. It may happen that you come into an organization, into a market, depending on where you might live versus where you're employed, because all of those geographic boundaries have melted now. And so it may be that you come in for a full week and then you go back to your your home as your primary residence. So we're not sure yet how that pendulum will start to level out. But what we do know is that working in person with other people is not completely transferable at a hundred percent level when you're going to only digital or an audio connection. So we're going to figure it out, but things will continue to change. 
And those employers that are willing and open to try it all, to offer it all, and to listen very carefully to their employees about what they need, what's working, those are the employers that will win as the change continues. One thing that I've noticed, I keep hearing about introverts are kind of having a moment where, you know, previously workplaces were social and you needed to be there, you know, every day, day in, day out. And it took a big toll on introverts. And now it's like introvert. It's kind of that one still um, that one trait that's still kind of um, in the workplace, you know, being your authentic self as an introvert is hard to do in in the workplace. And so I just find it interesting. And I'm hopeful that people who are introverts, maybe this is an opportunity, this is an opening for them to say, this is what I need. This is what I found to work for me as an introvert. And, you know, asking employers to, you know, can you meet me halfway? Can you, can you accommodate some of, you know, some of my needs as an introvert? In fact, can I um, piggyback off of that, Lynn, that goes right with the question I wanted to ask, who do you think has the power right now, Lisa, as people are trying to assess where they work, the kind of work they want to have in the future, family life, kids having to come home because of COVID exposures. I mean, who, who do you think has the power? Is it the employee, the employer? Are we still trying to work that out? Macro scale, Julie, it is the employee at a macro level. Now that is not true in every work arrangement and every work environment. So we could talk right now about teachers and what's happening in the education system. We could talk about physicians and nurses, frontline healthcare providers. So I don't know that um, gifted people in those uh, organizations right now who truly are working as a calling feel like they're in a lot of control. So. But on a macro scale, the power right now lies with the employee, but it's not just about employers demanding that people come back. It's this change acceleration. And where we're at right now is that the world has been moving to a more human-centered business platform. It's just happening so much faster right now. And everything has been laid bare in the pandemic. So we can see that business must, it's an imperative now that businesses have to do more to heal society and to help us live and work in a better world. Businesses have so much power and so much influence. And this is the time that organizations must step up. We see it happening with you know, environmental, um, social and governmental regulations and agreements called ESGs that companies are agreeing to follow. We know that businesses have the power to change communities, to change what's happening on the planet, to really bring social justice into our work environments. But that's a big ask. However, employees have rising expectations and we have had for a long time. As human beings, we want to work for and buy from organizations that believe what we believe and act accordingly. That's the difference. So the humans at work are expecting leaders to really lead with both head and heart. 
-hmm. So I had a really interesting conversation with one of the most emotionally intelligent CEOs that our company is lucky to lucky enough to work with. And he said, you know, Lisa, we're at the point now where leaders have got to stop looking in a microscope for what needs to happen in the business. They have to pick up a mirror. And so this is going to require a really, really big shift to modern leadership because employees are demanding it. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you on the leadership. I have just come to the belief in the last, I don't know, four or five years that it is up to business to lead around the world. I think that they have more capacity to lead than any of our elected leaders do, quite frankly, because they're free from some of the constraints that the elected folks are. But given that you work with with many companies um, on change management, and and we've been dealing with that on many different levels, the business level, things have to move along the employee level. What are some successful strategies that you found and that you advise um, your large and small companies for change management? Right, regardless of the company size, really the approach, Kim, is really consistent. So the first thing we have to do is organizations have got to ground and reground if necessary in what they stand for, who they stand for and what they stand up for. So some companies call that purpose and values. Some companies prefer mission, vision, values. It doesn't matter. So let's not spend two years getting wrapped around what we're gonna call it. And the bottom line is this, Organizations need to have clarity. Organizations must clarify what they stand for. What's your North Star? Why do you exist? Call it purpose, call it mission, call it vision. It doesn't really matter, but you've got to pair it with values. And the thing about values in a modern business world, values are the behavior agreement between an organization and all of the people it serves. So think people, their people, their partners, setting that behavior expectation for the partners that they do business with. It could be your bank, it could be your law firm, it could be vendor partners, but you need to be clear and communities and customers. It boils down to really sort of those four segments of people and you must be clear about what you are offering and hold others accountable to also understand what you're asking for. The flip side of that is that you must be accountable as a business. It all starts there. And so when you are clear about what you stand for in the behavior contract to implement that as a business, that's where change happens, Kim. So that's where you're able to come in and listen very carefully. So our leaders historically have a propensity to tell. We call it an old style of command and control, right? And so we are now in a listen and act environment. You must listen and you must act. If you're careful, you will hear what your employees value and prioritize most. Remember, we've got data. We're swimming in data, right? From our employees, our customers, our competitors. Listen and implement what you hear. And employees were hearing very consistently, where's my growth path? Where's my professional development? You know, how will you build a really diverse team? Demonstrate to me that I'm going to work with my BIPOC brothers and sisters and my members of my LGBTQ community. Don't just tell me about your DEI. 
commitment, show me. And the generations of, of employees that are coming won't stand for anything less. So that's where that change really begins. Yeah. Is there, um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how long it will take before we reach critical mass of people actually putting their words into actions and, and doing what we're talking about. And is there any concern that in the meantime, we're going to backslide a little bit, you know, you know, people get complacent and they think, well, I think there's a lot of skeptics out there that think I've heard this, you know, before I've heard, you know, people saying that they're going to do things and then they don't follow through. So I'm just curious to know about the follow through and how do we ensure that this continues and actually happens? Well, I think actually, Lynn, what's, what we understand right now is about, sadly, 95% of organizations aren't ready for this change and they're still resisting it. And what happens? You start to see phenomenon like the great resignation. So we have to be really clear about what the great resignation is. I mentioned earlier that we were already largely dissatisfied before the pandemic, and now we're exhausted, collectively exhausted. So the great resignation is really fundamentally rooted in broken cultures, broken mm -hmm. cultures of work. People are tired. Our mental health is declining. These are really symptoms of broken cultures. And you may see those in your you know, families that are struggling. You may see it in relationships that are struggling. But when we talk about work, the bottom line is pervasive stress and anxiety is leading to serious burnout. And I don't think of it as much as a great resignation as I do a collective cleansing breath. Mm. So we all- wow. I love that. Want to take a <laughs> yeah. breath. Yeah. Right. So and when you talk there's about a better culture, way. There yeah, is a it's, better way. And if we can't create it, we're going to find it. We're going to, we're going to make it uh, one way or another. We're not going to stand for this any longer. So the change is not going to be universal in, and it's not going to be fast, but like any habit that you're trying to create, you know, good habits we want to create and bad habits you want to dissolve. The only way to do that is to look at it with consistency and small steps taken over time, day after day after day. That's how change happens. And so what are those small steps towards a healthier culture? You know, I think the notion of having, you know, the foosball table and the beer on tap in the break room is, you know, people have decided that's, that's not a health, that's not culture. That's not good culture. I mean, any, any thoughts on this idea of culture and how do we baby step our way into a healthy culture for our workplace overall? It starts with that listening and then acting. But I will tell you that the most important things for organizations to focus on right now are human-centered policies. And that includes DE&I, flexible work arrangements. That includes uh, pay transparency. That includes pay equity. So there are so many foundational things that businesses already know they need to do. They need to do it. And employees, shareholders, boards need to hold them accountable. Customers are increasingly holding organizations accountable for hitting accountable for hitting those metrics. So that's crucial. So there are so many foundational things. Making sure that your employees have excellent access to mental health care, to great health care in general. So those things are so foundational and important. But you also must build a culture of well-being. There is no choice. 
And that's something that Beehive has been on a path to for better than 10 years. Mm -hmm. So pivoting for us into the pandemic wasn't that hard because we have a resilient, strong, supportive culture that was designed for this kind of a change and a shift. We've got 100% retention of our staff. Mm. We've added three new people. So we're coming through this really beautifully, but not because we're not working hard every damn day, well, because I, we are. Years ago, you had the, the, the room, the meditation room, right? Wow. <laughs> I'd take that over a foosball table any day. <laughs> foosball table, that whole thing, it's, what a, it's such an easy out. What you're talking about yeah. is the hard stuff. Well, and it takes a lot of consistency. And you know what? Businesses get bored. We implement something and then we're on to the next thing before our employees even have a chance to understand it and anchor into what we're asking them to do. It becomes this campaign of the day mentality and leaders have done that to the organizations, right? So at Beehive, we have a Be Well program, as you can imagine. And, you know, we love that alliteration, but we really will focus on physical, mental, and emotional well-being with our team. We've got nine daily practices. The goal is not to do nine daily practices. The goal is to do a few every day. That's how consistency is established. We have a morning huddle with our entire team. Everybody shares, and what's your intention for the day? What are you focused on? So it could be just focus. It could be breathing. I need to take a breath. I need to move more today. So, and then they share, what are they focused on today and where do they need help? How can I help you? How can I support you? So that connectedness is really crucial. We really honor power hours, focused hours for our team members to shut everything down, no interruptions, and just do a tight power hour. It's respectful. It's productive. You know, you know, you're all writers and, and communicators and producers you get, just get interrupted constantly. So we have a culture that really honors that. Meditation, breathing, mindfulness, gratitude, reflection. We give our employees all of those tools to then figure out what combination of these practices that do they need to build on. So I'll tell you, leaders can't dictate this from the top. It takes every one of us to build that healthy culture and healthy foundation. But the support, the funding, the consistency, the permission The modeling by leaders is a requirement in order for employees to engage and feel safe doing so. Yeah, I I love the point about modeling. Modeling the behavior is so important because it's one thing for your boss to tell you to do something, but when you don't ever see your boss doing that, you have a hard time giving yourself permission to, to, to follow that. Or, you know, subsequently, if you are asked to please power down for an hour and then you're getting a text from your boss, oh, wait, I have something I need to talk to you about that can kind of bite you in the you know what as well. And mm-hmm. I actually find it a little ironic, for lack of a better word, Lisa, that right now I know a lot of state government agencies are really leaning in to the idea of, okay, we understand if we're going to retain our staff, we need to find a way to work with them. And they're talking about allowing most folks to work telecommuting um, virtually 100% of the time moving forward, depending on the agency. When do we find government leading private sector? Just curious. 
It just makes my heart absolutely sing, Julie. So I can tell you that Beehive was lucky, really lucky. We could pivot really quick to full remote because we were already largely a work from anywhere culture, but our people and our clients loved to come to the office because we created a space that magnetized them. That was my job. If they were going to have them come and enjoy all those benefits of collaboration and in-person connection, they had to want to come. Our lease expired in October of 2020. So we let that lease go. And then in January, because things were still so uncertain, January of this year, we let our team know that we will not go into an office space until 2022. We don't know what that will look like. We don't know if we'll you know, have some kind of a, we're all gonna be back on these days. We just wanna remain really open to whatever develops. So let's not get wrapped around this idea of a return to office date. The New York Times recently told us that employers have given up on the return to office date. So I found it really enjoyable to watch the dates just keep sliding. So I was very happy that we let our team know that. So we've had people working from all over the world seamlessly with so much joy. It's been amazing. Now we have just started working on a new hive. So that's what our clients call our workspace is the hive. So we are building a new hive. Every one of our employees gets to put their fingerprints on it and it's going to be designed to really model workplace of the future. Mm -hmm. We will be a full work from anywhere culture for always. So to make this kind of investment, once again, as a business owner, I need to create a magnet where there is something so compelling that people will want to come there if it feels beneficial to them, but there won't be a mandate. So Julie, I am overjoyed to hear that the state is moving in that direction. And I think it's also because the data tells them it's the right move. I well, think that, I just, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna was, say, it sounds like what you're creating is just like honey. <laughs> <laughs> the beehive. So. The state, you know, as I think about the state that desperately wants to retain workers like everybody else does, the state can't offer the big paycheck. So it makes sense that they would look at these other ways to try to retain workers. But I'm wondering, as you deal with executives, Lisa, um, you know, there there was the mindset, we'll just pay people more. Oh, you know, they're working 60 hours a week, but we're paying them a lot of money to do it. So we can we can do that. And as you point out, that's not doing it for people anymore. They want to have a life as well. So are you having to coach some executives who perhaps grew up in this mindset that the bigger the paycheck, the more you can ask, and it doesn't make any difference to now a group of younger generations coming in saying, you know what, you keep your big paycheck. I want, you know, time with my family. We work with a lot of leadership groups, Kim, that, and some are just extraordinary and some are really struggling because even their leadership teams are just not in the same place. Their expectations of what work is and what is valuable to the organization and the individual just aren't in alignment. So that's going to resolve itself one way or another. There, we're either going to see organizations are gonna be pulled by possibility, pushed by pain, or a little bit of both. So what I can tell you is that What's happening right now is you're seeing the great resignation, but you're also seeing people come back into the workforce after they take that breath. And they hope that what they're signing up for, if they choose not to hang their own shingle, but they are signing up for something, they will leave again 
if the culture promises and the opportunity promises are not followed through on. So if, if employers don't deliver, the money won't keep them. So we're seeing a lot of movement right now, I can tell you across the agency world and professional services, so much movement with so much money being thrown at people. So we're gonna see a whole nother wave of this in about another 12 months because a bit, another big oh. surge, because those promises mm. won't be fulfilled Interesting. and the money won't keep people. So that's that fascinating. Is just a, that's a false promise. And so we're not hearing as much about the turn and churn as we are the great resignation, but it's actually all related yeah. um, because it's just more of kind of the process. People are taking a breath and then they'll figure out what they do next and their hope is what they do next will deliver on that fulfillment that they're seeking for their lives. Love it. Lisa, you have been amazing. I oh don't... my gosh. I know I can't, I want to like circle back in a year and see where we're at. <laughs> right. I think the points you're making are so great. Like a year from now, we're going to be, who knows where we'll be. So can you please come back in a year and talk and we'll regroup? <laughs> yeah, I would love to, Lynn, but I'll tell you where we could be is that we'll be at the new hive and it's going new to oh, podcasting yes. production studio. I'll so, bring the wine. <laughs> nice. Will you have, have a wine, wine fridge? <laughs> oh, we, we've got a full-size wine fridge. So we are a very um hospitable, I'll call it just a really centered on hospitality and um, service in everything that we do. So we'll have a beautiful new production studio and I'll look forward to welcoming you all. Foosball awesome. table? Lynn wants Never. the foosball table. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Down with the foosball table. I will just tell you that there will be no balls of any kind. Thank you. That will be played in the high. No, no sports so balls. Thank no you. Sports ball. no, no sports balls, none. Amen. So, yeah, absolutely. But probably a, some great food, so. That's, you know what? I'm there. Give me food. Yep. Great. You, you had me at wine. We're good. <laughs> Lisa Hannum is CEO and founder of Beehive, which is a boutique agency here in the Twin Cities, working with companies all over the place. And we really, really love your expertise today. And thank you so much for joining us. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Cheers. 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 Clink. Cheers. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSaltz, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind the scenes photos and of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.